0: Welcome back to On Call, a podcast from Amerisarsbergen where we discuss the latest industry information relevant to our GPO member practices. The average oncologist would need 29 hours a day to keep up with the advances in cancer care. There are new treatments, policies, drugs, toxicities, trials, and a shortage of oncologists and nurses. In this episode, we are joined by Dr. Fred Ashbury, co-founder and chief scientific officer at B cure To highlight the key areas where AI significantly improves your ability to treat patients effectively and efficiently while also adding value to your practice.
1: I'm going to talk today about the the transformation that's been taking place in oncology care specifically this paradigm shift we've all been experiencing in precision oncology and discuss what the challenges have been in community oncology practice in particular but also the opportunities that exist uh, to support clinical decision making, I have a few key messages. One, of course, uh, is that precision oncology, as a result of the knowledge explosion we've been experiencing, especially in the last few years to a decade, has truly dramatically changed cancer care. Cases, though, are, are much more complex as we have to think about a number of different data points. In addition to what we've historically had in terms of demographics, clinical changes in the patient and like with the advent of precision oncology, we now are adding in new biomarkers as a result of discovery, new drug treatment options as well, and and having to maintain all of this in order to be most effective with our patients with precision oncology coming along as it has though it's actually revealed that there are a number of point of care decision support challenges and a number of policy gaps and I'll discuss some of these in the end though as i mentioned i believe there are some key opportunities to accelerate precision oncology not knowledge adoption and these opportunities uh, exist around digital support solutions including artificial intelligence based platforms having expert content codified having truly real-time clinical decision support, and then finally having data at the back end that we can use, analyze, and understand the patterns of our practice behaviors to force the kinds of uh, policy decisions that we've been making in real time. So how has the landscape of cancer care delivery changed? Well, the number of publications revealing our understanding of genomics and genomic-guided therapies has actually exploded in the peer-reviewed literature and, and in the non-peer-reviewed literature as well. 30 years ago, we might have talked about 1,000 or so publications a year to today, where there are probably close to about 1.5 million on a literature search looking at various avenues in genetics and genomics. It's an awful lot of literature to keep up with. And the translation of that into routine practice, much of that work remains uh, to be done, but that is the stuff of which clinical trials uh, and other studies are underway today to determine how we can apply it in real time in clinical settings. The molecular profiling of tumors, though, and its micro, and their microenvironment is dra- dramatically changing our treatment options. Our understanding, as I mentioned of genetics and genomics has grown exponentially over the last few years. And today we understand with this complexity that there are a number of options we may have for treating our patients different from what we used to do with one size fits all standard chemotherapy options. At the same time, of course, we're identifying genomic aberrations for which right now there aren't current treatments that have been improved. But those studies remain underway, and it would tell you, though, that as time uh, continues, we're going to see a number of new drugs being approved, a number of companion tests being approved, and an unprecedented rate. In fact, in the last 18 months, we had close to 70 new drug approvals. So much is to be learned then about the application of these in real time based on what we've learned from clinical trials, but what does it mean in the real world? Next generation sequencing panels are no longer limited to a few genes, but truly hundreds of genes. There are different sources for these panels, including commercial sources, as well as those in large academic centers that can be deployed. Money has been set aside, at least in the Medicare eligible population to uh, that's approving patients who have advanced cancer for NGS testing, at least one time testing some. Third-party payers are supporting NGS testing, again, depending on the circumstances of the patient, but this will also cause a little bit of confusion in the community setting as to what can be done and for whom and at what cost. The agents themselves that have been pr- approved have never been more costly than they are today, from thirty dollars to $40,000 a month or $400,000 a year, depending on the kinds of agents that we're looking at. So all of these will go into consideration by the provider to determine what's, you know, truly possible for her, his patient. What are the economics of it, the cost benefits of it? What are the outcomes that are possible? Certainly as a result of genomic guided therapies, we're seeing improvements in these outcomes, but a lot of the decision will be based on multiple factors. In addition to seeing the the doubling of approved drugs over the last decade or so in terms of what's available to treat our patients, a number of biosimilars have been approved and these are being approved with increased frequency. I've been in truly hundreds of practices across North America, and I would tell you that current tools are not meeting people's needs to be able to apply the knowledge that we have about these new treatment interventions, including the biosimilars. I see handwritten notes or sticky notes attached to monitors to say that this biosimilar would be available under this particular drug plan. So if your patient uh, has that drug plan, then you might consider offering that biosimilar. Truly, we've reached a point where the knowledge base of what we know today has been amplified beyond what a single individual can do. One might call it akin to when the Wright brothers first flew and then having them walk into the cockpit of a 747 jumbo jet, it would look just so dramatically different uh, from what they faced in their timeframe. And certainly, many of the oncologists with whom I speak today would tell you that the information that's available on these different cancers has exceeded their ability to compete and keep up, and in fact, a, a recent Publication through ESMO showed that if an oncologist wanted to stay up on what was available in oncology today, she or he would have to be able to read 29 hours per day. We do know that precision oncology works. We did a small study ourselves of uh, 167 patients that had advanced breast and ovarian cancer. And what we found is those that had received genomic sequencing and had Uh, treatments applied on the basis of those results, 21 times improvement in uh, response in those patients. Over 91%, in fact, of the patients had some clinical benefit from the experience. So we're seeing that. It's not working for all patients, of course, but the number of patients uh, to whom we can be applying these treatments has grown as well. And therefore we can only expect to see better outcomes as time goes on. Couple that though with the complexity that we're seeing in in cancer treatment today and the things that we have to think about and the number of new drugs to be approved and the toxicities associated with these novel agents behaving somewhat differently than what we've been seeing with standard chemotherapy and radiation treatments and the like is very much the case and and certainly beyond what a a person might be able to do on a regular basis to be able to maintain an understanding of it. And on top of that, we, we know today that we're retiring more oncologists than we are replacing them. So with the replacement rate being below that, what we need, we're going to need a different model for care delivery in oncology. And that model might have to include looking at different disciplines to be available for less complex cases and training and hiring more people into those disciplines. It will have to do with perhaps having available artificial intelligence platforms that are able to process these data as long as they're discrete at least in real time to provide guidance, point of care decision-making and the like. So we have a, a changing dynamic, both in terms of the outward push in of new knowledge and the inward or operationalization of that knowledge in the cancer practice for practitioners to be able to keep up. So the demand for the services will grow with more and more cancers having more screening today, except perhaps through COVID in the last 16 months. We've seen that go down, but that might predict that we'll see more advanced cancers when things pick up again. So that's going to add to the complexity and what we're going to be able to, to do to meet that need. But in the end with more patients, more knowledge, fewer providers, a different model will be needed. New tools will certainly be needed to support at point of care. So talking a little bit about the policy gaps, we know that NGS testing coverage and reimbursement is available, at least for patients with advanced cancer, paid through by CMS, if they are Medicare eligible, but then some of the third party pairs are offering coverage, but this is quite a variable. It depends on where you are. So Blue Cross Blue Shield of Alabama, for instance, may offer different coverage than Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Dakota. So it behooves the practices to be on top of uh, what these coverages are and how they'd be able to apply them in real time in the clinical setting. There are a number of different NGS platforms out there. I'm not here to recommend one over the other. Some provide whole exome sequencing, others don't. Some do only a few genes, others do hundreds of genes. We have liquid biopsy available through some platforms as well, and some are very specific or targeted panels. So decisions will be made by providers based on their familiarity with these platforms and their ability to process the information uh, returned to them by the platforms. Many of them provide guidance on the results as to what can be done. The results can take those a few weeks and when you're a busy practitioner and you have patients in your waiting room and in your exam rooms, you're thinking about making decisions in near real time. So there needs to be some kind of interplay between these platforms and our current tools in practice to be able to take advantage of this knowledge in real time to support decision-making. A lot of the existing tools in place today in community oncology practices aren't set up for the kind of data transfer that needs to take place between NGS platforms or within the ecosystem of those practices themselves. I'm not telling anyone listening to this podcast, what they don't already know about having to be in more than one place, perhaps in their uh, clinical setting to access data about their patients to review tests or lab results and the like. And then to be in a different platform for their EHRs to be able to document their patients, record their notes, or dictate their notes and the like. But of, lot, of course, that means that these data are not discrete. The absence of solid informatics support to allow for effective data transfer is truly making it inefficient and ineffective in practices to keep up with the demand for precision oncology, let alone standard therapy. So, we need to ramp up institutional policies and be and have the capacity to monitor our effectiveness in implementing these policies, operationalizing them, including our standing orders. And existing tools today do not meet that need. Most of that work is being done manually in most practices at least that I visited. And that's not allowing for good use of those resources to be doing other things that are needed to support patient care. So effectively with an AI platform, artificial intelligence platforms can help to transform an oncologist into frankly, a super oncologist by taking in the, the data that are there for demographics for the patient, insurance coverage, clinical data on allergies, uh different medications the patient is taking, comorbid conditions, genetics, genomics, and the like, and having the ability to codify that data and the treatment plans and protocols, et cetera, into a system that can allow for a single oncologist to use all of that knowledge in in real time. And especially, as I mentioned earlier, with the demand being greater due to more patients and more complexity, The need for AI has never been more important than it is today. Now, a lot of these data points that I've mentioned, uh, you know, are captured in in progress notes or other documents, including PDFs, and and they're they're not effective as as a way of getting at those data and processing those data in real time. So the preparation work that oncologists are doing for hours the night before for the patients that they're seeing the next day is not the best use of their time if they could have access to those data as discrete data if they could have codified personalized treatment plans if they could do predictive and proactive modeling on the basis of those data if they know that they're adhering to guidelines because of the codification of those plans into their platforms and if they could have access to that curated data to know that they're practicing according to the standards that they've set for themselves all of that would allow, be allowed if we could leverage AI in the clinic to bridge these important gaps. In terms of the data themselves, you'd want access to data from diagnosis right through to follow-up care and end of life. You'd want access to financial data. You want access to administrative data. Not only do you want access to the data, but you want to be able to visualize those data in real time, have access to tools You want to define metrics, key performance indicators that you're using, uh, for example, on patterns of care delivery and different treatment outcomes, those that are required to be reported, but also those that you're monitoring to improve your practice. In addition, you want the ability to support clinical trials participation, but clinical trials, participation and management in the community oncology setting would go a long ways to improving our recruitment rates into clinical trials where they're currently abysmally low with only one in 20 cancer patients participating and where the, the discrepancies exist in terms of race, ethnicity, region, and age, these might be mitigated as a result of more participation by community oncology practices. In the end though, they'll need data and they'll need tools that will enable them to manage those clinical trials and to help support them during patients while on these protocols, as well as identifying what patients would be more appropriate to participate in these trials and how to manage any toxicities, adverse event reporting and the like. So we have real opportunities. There's no question we can transition. I believe effectively away from our current paper records and, and dictated documents and the like to an AI driven platform. That's emphasizing discrete data processes, these data and generates considerations and analytics in real time. In other words, true clinical decision support. So in conclusion, we know that there's been a dramatic uh, shift in cancer care towards genomic guided therapies. And this requires a major transformation in, in terms of cancer care delivery. Oncologists are expected to manage increasingly complex cases with novel treatments and existing tools are not enabling them to do that effectively. Uh, There will be significant changes to practice. We'll need content to be codified. Tools and analytics are urgently needed to embrace the paradigm shift and to remain competitive in the oncology marketplace. And finally, precision oncology, we know, does benefit patients, and these benefits will need effective policy support for adoption during clinical decision-making, as well as effective policy support at at the national level and at third-party pairs. So we have an opportunity today, I believe, to improve the the guidance at point of care based on what we know, but a number of changes will need to be made in the organization of cancer care delivery and having access to AI-driven tools to be more effective in terms of clinical decision-making.
0: That's all for this episode of On Call. Click the link in the description to learn more about our partners at vCure And join us next time as Dr. John Oliver discusses strategies and tools to help you recognize and manage new toxicity behavior. Until next time, stay safe and thanks for listening.